So, uh, so you've been to churches where they have water features in the church, like fountains or baptistries. And we have a waterfall we're working on right over here. Some of y'all have noticed. All right. So that's why I have my raincoat on so I don't get too wet. But we got a bucket. Okay. So don't, don't be too concerned. It's raining a lot right now. And if you're from Seattle, you're not impressed. But if you are from Charleston, you know, we don't usually get more than 30 minutes of rain at a time. Um, and it's hours and we still have hours ahead of us. So I'm working on a trip to go to Kentucky, see if we can't get some space on that ark up there. Anyway, we'll be in Isaiah 7 today, but we'll end where Josh just read for us. We're going to end up there. Um, so yeah, and I'm going to use, I'm going to do something today I don't usually do. I need to connect with that, but I'll do that in a minute. There we go. All right. Um, let me pray, if I could. Lord Jesus, we thank you for a chance to gather in your name. Especially this time of year, we're, our hearts are, are, are usually on a heightened level of emotion, if not joy, um, Lord. But for some of us, that, that heightened level of emotion is not always good. It doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it's just, it amplifies what's really not going well. Folks in crisis, personally, maybe their family, churches are in crisis, our nation, our world. Lord, we come to you today, people in crisis. And Lord, we need you. We may not even be sane enough to recognize it yet, but we need you. We always need you, but today we just come to you as a needy people and Lord, we are just grateful for words like Paul writes when he says, in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. Lord, we certainly feel weak. And so Lord, today as we explore what are we actually trusting in, Lord, I pray that you'll help us realize that when crisis comes, it exposes what we're trusting in. And then we have the option, the question really to answer is what I'm trusting in something that is worthy to be trusted. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us sort that out today, whether we're here or online or we'll be watching this in the future. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. So 365 days ago was the day our family fell through that deck. And I'm grateful for God's mercy through all of that, the day of and every day since. And while we still have things that are healing, and we still have, whether it's physical or emotional, mental, God has been very good. So we're grateful for that. Uh, but that was definitely a crisis. I don't know if you're a dad and you can imagine having nine of your closest family members in the ER at the same time, what that would feel like. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could imagine that if I was in your shoes. I lived it. And, and so I kind of have a sense of what crisis is like. That's probably the the greatest crisis, I've, I know it's the greatest crisis I've ever been through, probably most of my family. Crisis reveals to us what we trust in when it really matters. Okay? And I can tell that for that day, I was turning to the Lord. It was just automatic. I didn't have to think about it. I just did it. And, and I, the only reason I can figure that is, is this cutting out? All right, we'll give it one more try. They told me not to use this headset. It's my favorite. 
is that I've learned to do it in the small things throughout the, the year, each day. I, like, right, you know, it's like, do I ask God to answer this prayer? It's awfully small prayer requests, as if there's a, such a thing as a big prayer request to God. To us, they're big and small, but to God, they're all small, right? They're all a piece of cake. So um, I, I think this is, the, this is the point. You know, three points in a poem, that's a typical sermon, right? One point today. All right? If we, stand, if we either stand firm in our faith or we don't stand at all. We either stand firm in our faith or we don't stand at all. And that's actually a verse in the text we're looking at today. So I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to have to take a little history lesson. Let's go. We're in chapter 7. We're going to read 17 of these verses out of the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Christ. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Jershabub, Jershabub, and meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, "'Ask the Lord your God for a sign.'" whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. All right. You probably understood about 10% of that, Okay. All right, let me add some color to this or help ex explain. This scripture was written 700 years before Christ, so 2,700 years ago. All right? Usually when we're preaching, it's out of the New Testament. If it's out of the New Testament, we're in the first century. So we're A.D. 30 to 90, somewhere in there. Okay? Well, we're 700 years before that, so we're reading out of the Jewish scriptures, out of the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, like I said, 700, seven centuries earlier. 
And the prophet Isaiah is, is making multiple prophecies. And like a lot of times happens in the Bible, when a prophecy is made in the Old Testament, it's usually shows up twice. The answer to that prophecy is answered twice, once in the short term and once in the long term. The short term is a shadow of really what they want to drive home, okay? And this is what we're going to see here in this picture, that the virgin is actually just a young lady who's not had a baby yet and will happen in the lifetime of Isaiah and Ahaz to prove to be a sign to Ahaz and the nation of Israel, but it's also a sign of the coming Messiah. Okay, so I'll show you how all that fits together. But first, we need to talk geography and a little bit of history. Okay, but I'm going to draw. So that could be terrifying, but it's certainly going to be fun for me. So with that, let's see if we can get this to work. And of course, we're on the wrong Wi-Fi. All right, here we go. Okay, now um, let's let's start with the United Kingdom. Okay, not the UK that we think of as England, but the United Kingdom of Israel. All right. So you have the United Kingdom, Israel. Okay, and they started with three kings: Saul. We have King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, okay? And David was king around 1,000 B.C. Remember now, B.C. counts downward, not up, down to zero, and then A.D. picks up and goes positive, right? All right, so that's the United Kingdom of Israel starting roughly around 1,000. And then after Solomon, Solomon's son ends up doing a horrible job, and so 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel split off. And they, they're all located mostly in the north, and I'll draw that in a minute, and we end up with two kingdoms. We have the northern kingdom where 10 tribes went, and the southern kingdom where two tribes stayed around Jerusalem, and we have civil war, north and south. Here we go again, right? Or maybe forerunner, right? So you have the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Okay? In the Bible, the northern kingdom is, is called Israel. But I'm going to use a little I to represent because it's not Israel we're used to seeing. And the other, uh, the other side is called Judah. Okay? And the capital of, of Israel is Samaria. And the capital is Jerusalem here. Okay? Now, the Bible likes to use different words to say the same thing, okay? One of the words that is oftentimes used for Israel is Jacob because he was, Jacob's name was changed to Israel and you had the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes, okay? Well, later, after Joseph, sometimes Israel was called Ephraim, specifically referring to the northern kingdom or the 10 tribes because Ephraim was one of the 10 tribes that went north. So I'm going to put here in parentheses... Ephraim, just so we remember, because it's in our passage, which is why it's so confusing sometimes to read the Old Testament. It's just like, who's Ephraim, and why are we talking about Ephraim when we're actually talking about the northern tribes of Israel? Okay, 
All right. Um, Judah is sometimes called the house of David because David comes from the tribe of Judah. The line of David is the line of the Messiah, so that's why that's important. Okay. One more thing before we... Okay, so now each one of these has a king in our passage today. So today, a rough date is 734 B.C. 734 B.C. Remember, we started around 1,000 with David, the United Kingdom, well, Saul, David, Solomon, and then it split. And for that 250-plus years, there were lots of kings on both sides. All the kings on the, on, the, on the Israel side were evil. I don't mean just bad kings. I mean evil. Some of the kings on the Judah side were evil, but most were not. Most of them were good, like David, okay? So the king on the left, Israel, is Pekah, not Pikachu. Pika, and then on the right we have Ahaz, all right? Those are the kings. Now, broaden out, zoom out a little bit, and we have Syria is in the picture, okay? You would have seen Aram, Syria, okay? And today we have a country called Syria, and it is the same country. Aram is the way it's called. And there, I, I looked and I saw conflicting information. In some places they were used interchangeably, and some places Syria was larger and Aram was part of Syria. But regardless, we're going to put them together for today, and the capital is Damascus, which is true today. Tells you how old that city is. Okay, so that's another nation that's, that's in play, and the king there is Rezin. Okay, you remember that name from our passage we just read? So we read about Rezin, we read about... Pekah, we read about Ahaz, and they're all evil kings. Ahaz is an evil king, okay? In fact, he's our prime example of someone who does not want to stand firm in his faith in the Lord, even though he's in crisis. He is the one in crisis. He's in crisis. His family's in crisis. His nation is in crisis. Okay. All right, I think we'll, we're done here. So let's draw a map. Don't groan. Okay, here we go. All right, this is the Mediterranean Sea. That's water. All right? All right. And then over here we have the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And there's a big desert in here somewhere. So we'll kind of draw that like that. Oh, that's too, too wide. Okay, let's do that. All right? And then we have the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, Dead Sea. Okay, and then right here, we've got Jerusalem, capital of Judah, and then we have Samaria, capital of Israel, and then over here we have Syria, whose capital is Damascus. Okay, remember all those, and remember the king, Syria is Rezin, Israel is Pekah, Judah, Ahaz. All right, so let's draw some boundaries, roughly boundaries here. Okay. All right. Now, there's a couple more players. All right, Egypt's down here, and they are a big player at that time, but they're not hostile towards this region, but they want to come into this region because somebody else is coming that way, and they want to head them off. All right, kind of like the U.S. wants to fight our battles somewhere else, they want to fight their battles somewhere else, kind of that idea. Okay, Edom is another small kingdom over here. Philistia, Philistia is over here. Okay, so these are all kingdoms, and these have been attacking Judah. So Judah and Ahaz 
are in crisis already because they're being attacked. Israel and Syria have had their wars, but they have decided they're going to form an alliance. And the reason is because of the bully on the block, and that's Assyria. Not Syria, Assyria, because it's not confusing at all, right? Okay, now Assyria is, is, a, is a growing empire that is, it makes these guys look like little dinky kingdoms, okay? And they're coming, and they're, they're, they're not just fighting. They're, they've been going this way. They're, they're down here. They've defeated Babylon, who will later flip the tables. They're also coming over, and, and they're, they're making waves coming over, okay? All right. Let me change the color here, which will help a little bit. Okay. So... When we start, so now let me work through the passage. That'll help you. I'll, point, I'll refer to this as I need to. So, um, when Ahaz, king of Judah, son of Jotham and the son of Uzziah, both good kings, even though Ahaz, their son and grandson, is not, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, Syria, and Pekah, Pekah, Israel's son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Okay? This is why Ahaz is in crisis, because there are armies coming to his country to defeat them, replace him as king, put another person in king as a puppet king, so that the three of them can form an alliance to stand up against the bully Assyria. What they don't know is that Ahaz has already been talking to Assyria, and he sent gold to try to appease them, so he has this treaty, which ends up not doing any good at all. He's trusting in gold to save his people, okay? So he doesn't want to have an alliance with these two who are traditionally enemies. So they say, well, we're just going to take you over, put a puppet king in place, and then we'll still have what we want, whether you like it or not. So he's scared. The people are scared. That's kind of the setting. Now, verse 2, so now the house of David, that's Judah, was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. There's what I just told you. Aram, Syria, and Ephraim, Israel, are allies. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Isaiah, Isaiah is the prophet, not Israel. Don't get Israel and Isaiah confused. Isaiah is a major prophet in, in this whose prophecy we're reading. The Lord speaks through prophets, and he's speaking through Isaiah, and this is what he says. Go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub, and meet Ahaz at the upper end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. All right, launderer's field sounds just like it sounds. It's where they did their laundry, okay? They didn't have coin-operated laundry machines back then. You went to the creek or river, you washed your clothes, and you laid them out on the rocks to dry, okay? Because it almost never rained there. Launderer's field, upper pool, aqueduct, okay? If you've ever been on a log ride, right? And you've, been, you've seen those big half tubes of water, right? Imagine that coming from the high parts of the hills and the mountains into the city to provide water, especially when the city's under siege. So he's there inspecting that because he's expecting siege from these two countries that are coming to have war. And so that's why the king is out there checking out the aqueduct. All right? So that's where Isaiah is told to go and meet up with King Ahaz. So Ahaz is dealing with this crisis is the only way he knows how. And that is, I'm going to take care of this. Ahaz, in his own strength and his own power, that's what he's going to do. Okay? Say to him, this is what he wants Isaiah, the Lord wants Isaiah to say this to King Ahaz. This sounds like a t-shirt, right? Doesn't it? Right? Don't, uh, he says, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Right? 
What is it? That keep calm and carry on? What's that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought when I read this. Then, as if you didn't get the first three, he says, do not lose heart. So the Lord is trying to give Ahaz hope in crisis. Isn't that what we're looking for in crisis is hope? Okay. I had hope when those paramedics started rolling into the backyard. I just had hope. I just, there's help here because I didn't know what to do. I just knew we had bodies laying all over the place and it was terrifying and I'm still not quite thinking straight and here they come and I'm just immediately encouraged. So God is trying to encourage them, okay, Ahaz to start with. Don't lose heart and here's why. Because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, he's referring to Pika and Rezin, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, that's Syria, and the son of Ramalia, that's Pika. Aram, Syria, Ephraim, Israel, and Ramalia's son, Pekah, have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabeel king over it. He would be the puppet king. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, it didn't just say this is what the Lord says. It's like Isaiah wants to make it very clear who's in charge. Okay? Let's not forget who's in charge. The sovereign Lord. That means he's king. That means he rules. That means this is his realm. Okay? And I know that when we look at the news, it doesn't feel like that. Okay? I understand. This is why you and I are tempted to be afraid and to wring our hands. Okay? And sometimes we just need to watch less news. Okay? But, but ultimately, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I standing firm in my faith in Christ or not? Because if I either stand in my faith, stand firm in my faith, or I won't stand at all. And that's what he's getting ready to say. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This will not take place. It will not happen. They're not going to successfully conquer Judah. Okay? For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. That's a short-term prophecy, and it comes to pass. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. The Lord says this through Isaiah to Ahaz. If you do not stand firm in your faith, what's implied in me, because God's speaking, if you do not stand firm in me, you will not stand at all. Not just you're going to have a, ha- a bad day. You're not going to stand at all. You, that means you're on the ground. That means you will fall. You will fail. That doesn't mean that the whole nation is toast. Because his son, Hezekiah, will actually be one of the greatest kings. And Assyria will be coming. But Assyria will be humiliated because of the faith of Hezekiah. But that's another sermon for another time. So verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Okay, so he's just given him reason to hope. He's given him reason to trust the Lord. And now he's going to do what every skeptic would like, but will never accept. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz through Isaiah, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it's the deepest depths or the highest heights. What's he saying? Blank check. You just tell me how you want me to prove to you with a sign in advance that I'm going to do what I said. You could tell the sky to turn purple right now, and I'll do it. You could tell the sun to split into two suns. I'll do it just to prove to you that I'm going to do what I just said I'm going to do, and that is prevent that invasion. I mean, aren't you just a little bit curious? Gosh, come on, Ahaz, just... What you got to lose? Apparently, his pride is that big because this is what he says. 
But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. It sounds pious, but the Lord commanded him. The Lord commanded him to pick a sign. And of course, because he's not his Lord, he says no. Then Isaiah gets ticked off. I mean, Isaiah lets loose. 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. That's referring to Judah, Ahaz. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you, will you try the patience of my God also? Notice he didn't say our God. Oh, no, Ahaz had his chance. He just proved that God is not his God. The Lord is not his Lord because he rejected the hope. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, whether you like it or not, he's going to give you a sign. The, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey and he, when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. Before, before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. In other words, they're not just going to not only invade, they're going to be toast. The Lord will bring on you, Ahaz, and on your people, Judah, house of David, and on the house of your father, a time unlike any since Ephraim. This is judgment here. Ever since Ephraim broke away, that was united to divided kingdom. Ever since then, this is the worst time for Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So the very thing Ahaz has set up a treaty to prevent is actually going to happen now, and he's going to prove it with a sign. So there's judgment, but there's also mercy here, okay? Remember, Isaiah comes with a son, and his son is that weird name, Shir Jashab. Do you know what that means? I'm sure you know. Who knows? I'm just kidding. Don't, don't even... Right? A remnant will return. A remnant will return. That's what it means. And so Isaiah's sitting, I don't know how old his son is. I don't know if he's a kid. I don't know if he's standing next to him. I don't know. Probably he's fairly young. And he's, and he's like, a remnant's going to survive this judgment. So there's a blessing. There's going to be a remnant of, of Judah. Judgment. Most are going to fall because of your unfaithfulness, Ahaz. Okay? Um, let's see. So, so we, we're asking the question, all right, so we have a crisis. Ahaz has a decision to make. He fails to make the right call, and Assyria is going to come. And Assyria will come, and in three years, in just three years from now, so 731, 732 B.C., Assyria is defeated. Seven years after that, Israel is defeated, little I. Okay? Within that 65 years, it wasn't even close. And it, and really what began, it began the uh, exile of the northern kingdom. So Assyria conquers Syria and Israel and begins to send them off. And that starts in 722 B.C. Okay? Assyria will attempt to take Judah down in 701 and through a miraculous turn of events, God will strike down all 185,000 troops in one night without one sword being swung by Judah. And it's, a, it's an amazing story in the life of Hezekiah. Just keep reading from here. Um, well, actually, you need to go to 2 Kings 16 plus 1 Chronicles 28 into 2 Chronicles probably. 
It's an amazing story of faith. Hezekiah takes this letter from King, King Sennacherib, who is at that time the king of, of Assyria, and he spreads, it says he literally spreads the letter out on the altar in front of the Lord and prays. We can't do anything about this, Lord. We have no, there's no way we can defend ourselves against this nation. And God strikes down 185,000. And this is in 701 BC. I, I promise you, there's got to be t-shirts somewhere in Israel that say 701, and that's all they say. I just got to believe there's 701 t-shirts. Somebody's making money off of this. I just got to believe it. If not, maybe we should think about it. it. It was an amazing victory. People talked about it for years. You know, we talk about 9-11. Now Israel talks about 10-7. Some of them are going, yeah, but 701. We could use a 701. We got a 701, and his name's Jesus. All right, let's wrap up. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1. I want to show you why we went here. Starting in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. This is 700 years later. 700 years later. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. That means that she was both engaged and married. I know, right? Uh, how are you engaged and married? This is how. You're engaged for a year, and she better be a virgin at the end of that year, and you're legally married. That's how it worked. And if you wanted to get out of that year-long engagement, you had to get a formal divorce, which brings a whole other set of questions we won't address today. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And everybody freaked out that she was pregnant because nobody believed she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And this disgraced her, Joseph, her family, his family, and gave Joseph a lot of reasons to go, okay, this is not working. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, which is Matthew's way of saying, here's a man of integrity, a good man, a good Jew, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, a man of mercy, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, which he had the legal right to do per the Old Testament. But because God's up to something else. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, line of David, Davidic dynasty, the Messiah will come from that line. Do not be afraid, right? Why? Because God is with us. To take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That means that he is holy, he is from God, and he is not yours. You can adopt him, but he is not your son. He is my son. Which makes sense if you think about it. Jesus couldn't have two earthly parents. Because he's, he's a little older than both of them, right? Eternal, okay, so eternal father through the Holy Spirit but human Mary. So God is, this is why Jesus is able to be fully divine and fully human at the same time. I can't do the math. I can just tell you what it says. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus means the Lord is my salvation. So that fits. 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Interesting. He doesn't even name the prophet, because everyone in that day would have known what prophet, because this Matthew was written to Jews who were either Christians or Jews who were, they were hoping would become Christians. Because a, a Christian is a completed Jew if you started out Jewish, if you can follow that. This is quoting Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, in Isaiah, they wouldn't have read it virgin. They would have read it, they would have heard the same word. Alma is the Hebrew word. And the same word is used in both places. 
I know this is Greek, and so, but the equivalent. And so what they would have in Isaiah's day and in Ahaz's day, for him to see the sign, okay, that was going to prove that God was going to keep his promise, there had to be somebody in the palace or somewhere close to Isaiah and or um, Ahaz, and they were related, by the way, that a woman who was uh, of sexually mature enough age to have a baby, yet not married, was going to have a baby, and I don't know if she was going to get married and have the baby. I don't know. I don't have all those details. And she was going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And within a few years of him being able to say what's right and wrong, Syria and Israel, northern kingdom, little I, would be defeated as a proof and a sign that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Okay? Not only for Ahaz and them, but us today. Because it's this is the this is the one that really matters. Okay? God is he's he's working, we're playing checkers and he's playing 4D chess, right? I mean, he is just so far ahead of us. And we just have no confidence because we don't take the time to read and think and and realize that this there's so many connections in this in his word all throughout that there's no there's no way a person could have put this together. There's just no way. And that's why he ends with that. So I want to ask you the question that, you know, we're, we're probably all asking. It's like when, when I, as I deal with crisis or when crisis comes, and if it hasn't come yet, it's coming, what faith will be revealed in your life? What kind of faith will there be? And whom will it be? Because everybody on the planet has faith. Even the atheist believes there is no God because he can't prove it. Even the agnostic who questions and looking for an out can't prove there is no God. If you are trusting in something else, okay, how's that working? Are you standing firm in whatever and whomever you believe in? Is that working in crisis? These are questions that we all need to be asking. Is my faith in someone I can truly trust? And if it is, then rest in that and be at peace in the midst of crisis. If it's not, then I, choose, I, I call on you to consider Jesus. Consider God become flesh who came down so that we could know God. There's a tweet um, I saw last night, and a guy tweets a Tim Keller quote, which basically says that Jesus came down so that we could know God. And it was another Christian who replied, you know, it's Twitter, right? Uh, I know, X. But, you know, and, and they reply, no, no, sir. Sorry, no, sir. And then he gave this theologically rich two paragraphs of what Jesus, why Jesus came. And ultimately he was saying to glorify God, not to know, to reveal himself to us or whatever. And I'm going, that was unnecessary. <laughs> because for one, that was kind of ugly. And for two, Keller was right. And you're right. Why can't it be both? And this is where we keep shooting ourselves in the, in the foot. And it's like, oh, my faith is so I can take down my brothers because they're not quite exactly like me. Folks, we got a world that's dying and going to hell. And we're shooting arrows at each other like they don't matter. Okay? We're in crisis and the world is in crisis. Listen, spiritually, the world's on fire all around us. What are we doing? Okay? 
Are we just sticking our heads in the sand and pretending it doesn't affect us? It's, going, it's, it's here. It's coming. We're living in this world. But we know this is not all there is. At least I know this is not all there is because Jesus didn't come so that we could have uh, abundant life only in this life. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, the narrow way that leads to life eternal and abundant. This isn't all there is. If this is all there is, I'm depressed. Call me depressed because this is, this is not good enough. I'm sorry, Jesus died for more than this, okay? But it starts here. This is where the, the battle is. Are you going to stand firm in your faith in Christ or not? It's an, you know, this feels very black and white. And I, I struggle with that because there's nuance in Scripture, right? And I know that there are days when my faith is stronger and there are other days when my faith is weaker. I have my, I'll call them micro-doubts, not macro doubts. I don't doubt God and that all of this is true. But I have my macro doubts, micro doubts about, um, I wonder if he's going to help me today. I have those. Okay. But this is talking about, am I going to stand firm in Christ today or am I just going to stand a little in Christ today? Because he'll take a mustard seed side of faith. He's saying, are you standing firm in me or are you standing in something else? Well, that sounds kind of fun. Whew, yeah, are you standing in some other God that's not real, right? A God that can't speak like they used to worship when they would worship a piece of rock or a piece of tree. And we go, oh, that's dumb, as we hold a piece of metal in our hands and look at it and worship it all the time, caress it, spend time with it, pour money into it. Sounds like church to me. I mean, I have, I have one too. Right? I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, am I? But there's a battle. And the question is, are you standing firm in your faith? Because if you don't stand firm in your faith in Christ, you're not going to stand at all. And the ultimate crisis that this matters most in is at the end of your life. Okay? And I think the reason that I was able to automatically, spiritually, my spiritual reflex was to turn to Christ when, when all hell broke loose in my family last year was because I was doing it along the way, okay? And if you want to know, well, when the big things come my way, am I going to turn? Am I going to stand firm in Christ? Ask yourself the question, are you doing it in the little things? Are you turning to Him every day? The things that you think are crisis in your life, that you think are big and they feel big because they are big and to you, are you trusting Christ for those? Are you trusting Christ for your job situation? Are you trusting him for your financial situation? I sure hope you're not spending more than you're making on this Christmas. Are you trusting him for your relationships in the family? Because Christmas is when all that's amplified, good and bad. Are you trusting Christ with those friendships that maybe you're on the rocks? Are you trusting Christ when you watch the news and, you, and you're watching the talking heads talk about where our, our country is? Are you trusting Christ for that? Are you trusting Christ with your health? Right, I could go on. You can understand who is your faith being revealed in through your crisis. My invitation to you is to turn and fully surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, that's my prayer for each person here, each person watching, each person listening, myself that no matter where we are in our faith, whether we, are, we have a relationship with you already or not, that we would just resolve in our spirit 
and in our minds right now to fully stand in Christ alone for our, for our everything we need to do whatever it is we're going through, to get through to not just survive but thrive in the midst of crisis. Lord, I've experienced that by your grace and mercy through no deserving on my own part at all. You just showed up. And I'm grateful that you didn't just show up 365 days ago, but you've shown up in my life since October 1983 when you led me to you. And even before that, through the people in my life who pointed me to you. And ever since, the people who've been pointing me to you and helping me grow in my daily walk with you so that each day I incrementally make progress to where I am just more naturally turning to you, letting Jesus be Jesus in my shoes. And I just pray that we would have the courage to surrender our whole lives to you, our finances, our education, our physical well-being, our relationships, and our spiritual walk, that we would just surrender it all to you because that's really all that matters. That we would have the confidence that you are good, that you care for us, and that you are almighty, that you are able to care for us. And because you're good, you want to care for us. And that when you allow difficult things to happen in our lives, that we would have the courage to stand firm knowing that you're allowing it for a reason that is better for us than to not go through it, as painful as that may be. For you are good. May grace and mercy pour out today on all those who are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.